RPG Speak is a profane and sometimes rowdy podcast. While we do not recommend this podcast for children, we cannot tell you what to do. Just know, you have been warned. Hey, what's going on everybody? It's the Mexanadian coming at you guys with another video. And today, I am joined by the one and only Renavian from Danzels and Dingba... Words. That was a great intro. Uh, but nonetheless, Renavian, how are you doing today? I'm great now, thanks. <laughs> uh, see, while you were giving that introduction, my brain was screaming at me that I should just like blurt something random out and interrupt you just to be funny, but you did it for me. So. <laughs> yeah, I did it all to myself. Oh, man. Uh, so, for those of you guys who don't know, Renavion is an incredibly good friend of mine and an incredibly good friend of the channel. If you guys have not checked him out yet, you definitely should. Uh, he doesn't have a custom link yet because he's not cool enough. Like, I have one. Uh, so, it's just Damsels and Dingbats on YouTube. It'll also be a link in the description for it. He's incredibly funny. I've played tons of games with him. And uh, if you guys don't find him funny, you're officially banned from my channel. Now, uh, for a lot of you guys who don't know, Renavion has been on this earth for an incredibly, incredibly long amount of time. So long that he was alive. He was alive during the beginning years of Dungeons and Dragons, which a lot of you guys know. I, in fact, play and run games. Um, so if and also for those of you guys who don't know, a lot of the stuff you guys may not know. Uh, the original publication of Dungeons and Dragons was published back in 1974 by TSR, and here was in fact born only five years after that. If I'm correct in assuming? Yes, I'm a geezer. At least according to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so since you've been around the block with Dungeons & Dragons since, well, nearly since it came out, uh, what, what was it like during the early stages of Dungeons & Dragons and the growth of it up until now? I didn't uh, actually catch it in my my early early years. I wasn't actually introduced to it until uh, late middle school, early high school. But it was—I don't know. Uh, primarily, I would say that it was not as socially accepted. Uh, the community, society as a large, tended to frown on role playing games in general. D and D got a really bad rap. Uh, it was considered satanic, occultic. Uh, anybody who had anything to do with it, we were, you know, we were the guys going around at night stealing babies and eating them and stuff like that. And dude, got a really bad rap. People did not understand this new thing that was out, and they just like came down on it hard. It got so bad that they actually had to go into the monsters manual for Dungeons and Dragons and remove the demons. From the monsters manual, just to get away from the stigma of being occultic, you know, no, being well, whatever that word was I was trying to use. Um, over the years, uh, largely during my adult years, uh, late twenties and on, there there was that big boom where it was almost like the hobby was rediscovered, and now everybody and their pets are into role playing. It's just this big generational I, I really you know part of me is like I was before my time 
but at the same time like i feel it feels good to see something that i was really into when i was younger passed on to your generation and your and the generation after and uh obviously the mechanics have evolved considerably uh second edition if you were to go back and look at it now even though there are a lot of die hard fanatics and loyalists it makes no sense whatsoever yeah it was not a very good time no um so the mechanics the mechanics clearly have been doing lots of changing now i've never played fourth edition but we're not going to talk about that <laughs> yeah fourth edition is essentially the jared leto of jo- of jokers they tried to get back to their the miniatures battle because uh, Dungeons and Dragons started as a uh, uh, come on brain. See, this is what happens when you put me on the spot. I don't have enough <laughs> enough poop in my brain in my brain tank. Uh, it was a war game. Uh, it was like a military world game. It was meant to be like a simulator. What would happen in this situation and so forth. And the whole fantasy portion of it, the storytelling portion of it, didn't come until later. I think 4th edition, they were trying to get back to that whole, we've got the minis on the table and we're just going to focus on the fights. And there, there is a community out there for that, but largely by what I saw, it did not hit well. And uh, they put 5th edition out real quick. Yeah, from because uh, I've I've obviously not even been alive as long as you have, uh, but I've clearly not been. I've and with that being said, I've clearly not been playing D anD D for as long as you have. In fact, you introduced me to the game roughly eight to nine, maybe ten years ago at this point. Um, and I know from experience from playing that you do in fact play fast and loose with the rules. It actually brings me back to a video that you created. Uh, I think maybe two, three years ago, right around the start of your channel, where in that video you said that you believe the rules of the game are just guidelines for how the game should be run, but it's not the law. I believe I quoted that correctly. Do you still believe in that statement, or have your views on the rules kind of changed and how they should be interpreted? Or I live by that statement. I mean, anybody who's watched my channel and watched my recent uh, D&D group realizes not only do I play fast and loose with the rules, I don't even know half of them. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's a game. You always gotta remember, it's a game. Some people take shit way too seriously these days. And <clears throat> the thing with a game is, it's supposed to be fun. If you're not having fun, why are you doing it? And I find that the mechanics, the the rules, uh, if you don't know them, it, it takes more time in the middle of a freaking game session to stop and look them up than it does just to use a little bit of common sense and move along. And then, you know, if it's an, if it's an important rule, look it up after the game and institute it later. I'm more concerned about the players having fun. Uh, being allowed to express themselves creatively and maybe try things that aren't in the rule book, such as drinking a water elemental. Dan, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's about having fun. And if you're feeling like you have to do number crunching in a spreadsheet and you're afraid you're going to fail a test you're not actually taking, then it's not a game anymore. And, yeah, I, I'm not... That's not my thing. I'm not saying that that doesn't have its place. I'm sure there are a lot of game masters out there that that's 
how they do their thing. Every dungeon master is different. Every dungeon master does what they do differently. And I'm just one of those guys that likes to likes to get a laugh and make sure that my players walk away from the table having at least enjoyed themselves. So, uh, very well said. Because I know, like I said, I've been playing at your table for roughly eight to nine years now. Uh, well, more or less within the last three or four years. And uh, within that eight or nine years I've been playing, we've seen... your Well, your original group started off, at least here in Michigan, it started off as uh, your stepson, Tyler, also have a green gaming, and uh, your current wife... I say current like there's going to be another one. Um, me, man. I can't handle, I can't handle what I got. <laughs> I do. I love you. <laughs> no, she doesn't watch my videos. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and your wife right now, uh, Tara. So, and then probably, if I'm not mistaken, that group went on for what a couple months, maybe a year, was it? Yeah, it was. Uh, it wasn't long. I mean, yeah, and I we know needed our, we needed our Anthony. <laughs> Yeah, and I was at one point I just wanted to hang out with Tyler and he said you guys were playing Dungeons and Dragons. I was familiar with it at the time, but I didn't know exactly what I was getting into. Um and so I stepped in and f- while it was a rough first maybe 2-3 months with me, uh I eventually got into the habit of coming back over, but after that, we realized that our group needed to be a little more well-rounded, so we needed a fourth person, and not just you playing an NPC as well as being the DM. So, well, that works. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know through these entire years of in here, we've seen, we've all seen, we've there's been at least five other p- different players at the group that came and went, until you finally got down to your core group. Which was, you know, me, Tara, Tyler, uh, our friend Malik, uh, Tyler's quote-unquote cousin Alex, and his aunt. Uh, So, would you have any advice on how to, I guess the best way to say it is how to run a game that is constantly switching through players, or, you know how to run a game that has less than like four, maybe three players. Like what would you, what would you say to someone that's having issues keeping players at the table? Essentially. Don't worry about it. Shit happens. <laughs> Fair um, you're, you, you are only responsible for presenting entertainment to the people who can show up. If they can't show up, focus on those that do. If you have a small group, that is your group. Focus on them. If you want a bigger group, that's fine. But give your attention to those that are eyes on you right now. Uh, If you have people coming and going all the time, then, like I said, focus on those that are there. If, If you're really big into character backstory and molding your campaign around your your player characters uh th- that can present some challenges if you don't know when so and so is going to be there next but for those that see there's this thing with dungeons and dragons or any other role-playing game if you show up and you game not only do you get the experience 
and the loop, but you as a player get the experience of the session, the gaming, you know, the enjoyment of it. If you don't show up, you're not going to get experience. You're not going to get the gold. So, vice, you know, the same situation with like uh, developing your character backstory. Those people who show up are going to get more attention. Their characters are going to develop. Their backstories are going to become more integral to your campaign. And that should be the reward for their commitment to making it to the game. Now, I'm not saying punish the individuals who can't make it because there are a lot of times when, you know, you, for example... Uh, you you are the most religiously fanatic, on time, going to be there every game session person <laughs> that I've ever had in a game. And there have even been times when you couldn't make it. So, uh, there really is no advice for that. It's just a focus on where you are now. Be in the now, run who you have, and... You know, I've had to come up with some pretty interesting mechanics in the past. Like, I remember uh, I wrote that Everdark campaign that was cursed. And uh, the, way, the way I managed that was, like, I created this little stone, this magical stone. And during a game session, if somebody couldn't make it, the character was magically teleported into, like, this stone of holding. And then they came back out the next time they actually showed up to the game. Uh, back when I was younger, my dungeon master used this technique, but we called it the closet back before being in the closet, had any other insinuation. <laughs> so if, if you were not present at the game session, your character went into the closet. So, you know, you can use an in-game kind of magical explanation for why so-and-so isn't here this game session or, you know, the character. But that just uh, my basic uh, advice is just do it. Just remember that you're gaming and you're there to have fun so have fun with the people that are there and to kind of piggyback on that you said focus on the core group whether it's small or big what would you and focus on their backstories to make it onto into your campaign and you know morph their stories into the full game and campaign story how would you do that with someone who's say running like 10 11 people at one time the first piece of advice I'm going to give on that is uh, if, you, <laughs> if you're not comfortable running a group that size, don't do it. I mean, it's hard to tell people, no, you can't sit at my game table because it's full. Uh, and I, I really hate doing that. But I know I have my limits. And once I get past like four or five people, my brain really starts to pop sparks and smoke. And it's hard for me to keep up with everybody. But if you're comfortable with that many people... Uh, my number one piece of advice on that is keep notes. <laughs> Write it down. And just brainstorm. Um, you know, if so-and-so's got this backstory and your new character's got this backstory and you've written it all down over the, the course of whatever, you look back on that those notes someday and you'll be like, hey, wait a minute. There's a connection here. Uh, maybe it's a connection between the players themselves or the characters themselves. Maybe it's a connection to the actual plot. And and that'll help the that'll help keep the brain juices going. It'll help keep the uh, immersion going and, and make it seem like uh, to the players that their characters are actually 
central and important to the story you, just make sure you write it down because the, the most hurtful insulting thing you can do to a player whether they admit it to you or not is to forget something that they told you about their character because you know they, they're into the character they're they're invested it's important to them it's special to them and and they want to have that moment in the story where that special shines and shows and they can share it with you and with the other players and if you just completely forget that it was ever even a thing you know you could have any range of reactions from them being like oh yeah i told you to them going like you just don't care what i say <laughs> i don't want to play anymore so yeah my, my advice uh, no matter how many players you have, if they give you, if they volunteer information to you about their characters, something that they remembered in their pretend childhood, or you know their favorite food, is just write it down. It's, it takes you just a second to jot down a note, and and then you've got it in perpetuity. And the moment that you know six months later, when you bring that piece of information back up, you know, hey, my favorite foods like fish sticks and. And then six months later, hey, there's a fish stick. That's gonna be that's gonna hit real hard to that player because they're gonna be like, oh, he remembered. That's awesome. So yeah, write it all down. And uh, now I guess to kind of piggyback on that in a sense, um, you've been playing with, you know, you've been you've played with many groups for many years. Uh, played with many other players, run on been run under you know other DMs before you became one. Uh, but and I, I know a lot of these are about you as being a DM. So as a DM or as how a player, how would you per, how do you suggest someone deals with? Because I know from personal experience, you've dealt with this many a times. Uh, how would you deal with a player who is? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Not necessarily unruly, uh, but, you know, believes that they're entitled to certain things that, you know, you either never said that they, they specifically get it, or they just believe they're entitled to certain things that you weren't, like I said, they weren't specifically told they get it, or that because it would go better with their character, they're entitled to getting that item, no matter if they found it or if another player found it. 
um, or you know, telling other players how their character should be run. How would you? How do you personally deal with players like that? There's the way you should deal with it, and then the football way I do deal with it. So I'm going to give you the way you should deal with it, <laughs> and uh, that is communication. Uh, if, if you're having problems with a player, you you need to sit down with them, preferably you and said player, away from the rest of the group. You don't want to call a player out during a game session in front of the other players because that just embarrasses them and makes them defensive, and, and yeah, that never ends well. So <laughs> after the game session, just be like, hey, yo, can we talk for a minute? And then just talk to them. Say, you know, hey, this is this is what's going on. Um... You know, this is what the situation is, you know, if they think they should be entitled to an item, you know, just explain to them, hey, you're, you're part of a group, uh, your party members' characters are as important to them as yours is to you, and ultimately, in this little make-believe world that we're playing in, their advancement is as important to you as yours is. So, you know, just talk to them. Discuss with them what the problem is. And a lot of times you can come to uh, an understanding as long as you have a calm, collected conversation and you don't come across as, you know, attacking them or pointing out that they're doing something wrong or doing something bad. Just, you know, make it clear you're trying to understand where they're coming from and you want them to understand where you're coming from as their dungeon master. Now, if they, they completely will not work with you and they're just an asshole... Get rid of them. Uh, you need to take into consideration that the other people in your party uh, are there to have a good time, and if this person is ruining it for them, uh, as much as you want to be a nice guy and, and roll over and just take it, you got to take them into consideration as well. Now, speaking about the party, when it comes to characters feeling like they're entitled to items, or players feeling like their characters are entitled to items, that's really a group dynamic thing. Um, I, I try to, in my groups, I try to let my players decide amongst themselves who gets what, who benefit the most from what. So encourage, you know, if it's an issue, encourage them to role play as the characters debating, discussing with each other who should get what. Not only will that give them a chance to kind of, you know, anchor themselves back into the game character-wise, uh, give them some development between their characters, but, you know, it may help the situation to resolve itself. But again, if it doesn't, and it's just being deconstructive to the session, just, you know, you can always say, hey, the item is no longer with you. I'm taking the item. I'm holding on to it. It's still real. One of you will still get it, but it's causing a lot of turmoil right now, so it's, it's not going to be a thing. Just stop worrying about it for now, and we will discuss it after the game. And then that's when you go to the person who's causing the problem and, and try to rationalize with them. So that would be my advice in that scenario, as chaotic, confusing, and muddy as it is. Uh, well, that... It was very well said, and I know from, like I said, personal experience, that's not exactly how you deal with it. Um, from personal experience, I know that you like to state your mind and state your piece, but ultimately it is a 
group activity and the entire group is involved in it. So I know that you are a pretty decent sized believer or a very large believer, whichever one, that it's basically a democracy majority rules if they if you know something someone says believe should be allowed uh the group decides if it's fair if it's something involving you know game mechanics uh the dm can decide whether it's homebrewed or whether or not the party itself believes that it's fair and i know there's obviously you know there's obviously things that you shouldn't let the party agree on, you know, like this weapon should be an instant kill or, you know, I believe I should be able to jump 60 feet onto the top of this roof because my acrobatic skill is at an 11. Um, so I know there's plenty of things that are, you know, up to the DM and shouldn't be allowed for group w- rule. But when it comes to, you know, like you said, getting items that someone believes should go to them that's a group decision uh if you know the dm states something like i know one of the recent things we had was there was an orb that you know it was a teleportation orb and it ran out of it ran out of uses uh you entrusted players to look it up and make and see that it did have uses but when somebody went to use it and you said it was out of uses, there was an argument and you ultimately put it up to the group to decide whether or not it was fair since they didn't know it had uses, uh, that if you should allow them to allow them to have more uses for it or if it was, you know, or if it was, you know, the uses were done and had to be recharged by a ma- another magic user who had the ability to recharge the item. Uh, so what would you, what would you say would be kind of a, uh, what's the best way to put this? What would you say to any, you know, groups who are having these types of problems and any DMs that are, you know, hesitant about doing stuff like this? How would you say, what would you say would be an accurate way I'm trying to figure out how to word this question because this is not what I had written down. Um, what, what, what are your views on you know groups decide the actual groups deciding on what is and isn't fair and what a DM should be, what type of things should be decided by the DM and not the group? The first thing I would suggest is know what type of game you want to play. Uh, if it's a loosey-goosey, free-from type of thing where you're really not using the rules at all, then then there really is no harm in, in letting the, the players have more freedom and more reign on what's going on with the story and the campaign and the game. But if you have like a, a plot that you're trying to get across or you know, you're trying to maintain a certain level of realism, if if something is if you see something getting ready to happen that you realize, no, 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 this is gonna break my campaign. This is gonna break something. Then you need to rein it in a little bit. And hopefully if your players realize that, hey, our dungeon master is very lenient with us and allows us to get away with all kinds of crap, uh, hopefully they'll realize that when you do say no, or you do put limitations on them that they don't understand, they will have learned to trust 
that there's a reason for it and not get upset and not get frustrated. Now, if they do, that, again, goes back to the situation where you need to just pull them aside and have a, a conversation with them because it's probably just that they don't understand where you're coming from. Maybe you just need to give them a little above-board peek behind the curtain to say, hey, you know, your character isn't aware of this, but I can't let you do this because this will be the result, and this this is why this will mess everything up, and, you know, uh, the example with the herb that you're talking about uh, was partially my mistake as the dungeon master because I didn't, I should have realized when I handed out the item that it had charges. I did not do my research. I have a very strong, you guys should know your characters and how to play them, so I will, when I ask you something, like, how does this ability work? I trust that you know what you're talking about when you tell me, and we go from there. That way, instead of memorizing the entire player's handbook, I can focus on the Dungeon Master's Guide, the Monster's Manual, the campaign, the world, blah de blah blah and everything else. So, when I gave the item, I didn't realize it had charges. So, we were just using it like it didn't. And the the player in the, in, in the blind the light here... Uh, did was, got used to using this item like it didn't have charges. Well, then a situation arose when when I realized, hey, wait a minute, this item's starting to feel a little overpowered, like it's starting to feel a little unbalanced here. And then I actually looked, and I realized, hey, this has charges. And when I tried to implement the fact that they had charges, it, it caused some, some hurt feelings because that player felt like... Uh, they were being cheated or, you know, it was an unfair situation. And in the moment, you know, that, that caused a lot of tension. But then after the fact, when I went and talked to the player and explained to them what the situation was, they understood what was going on. And we were actually able to come to a, an agreement where we realized the item has charges. But since you didn't know, I'm not going to enforce the whole, the, it's empty now. Where and and that's another reason, you know, another example of how back in the day things were different. My dungeon master wouldn't have told me there were charges because there's no way my player would have known, my character would have known. And when I ran out and tried to use it, it didn't work. I, I'm screwed. So you know the 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 way gamers approach the hobby is different as well. So you just have to keep in mind what kind of players you have, what they expect from the game, and just make sure to communicate with them. If you play light and loose with the rules. Uh, they're going to expect you to play light and loose with the rules. So if you can't play light and loose with one of these rules all of a sudden, you, you need to make it understood why. Because it, it's breaking what they're used to. Uh, if you're one of those dungeon masters that plays only by the rules, um, your players have to know what kind of game you're running and what they can expect from you. And when you break that mold, it can cause problems. So just communicate with your players that's that's the, you know probably the best advice i could give for just about any question you can ask communication yeah. is key communication exactly. is key exactly uh so we've we've established that you are a very long time and experienced uh gamer in all forms of games uh whether it be you know the creation of wow uh whether it be you know pong um and you know ranging from board games to rpgs to you know now modern day modern day video games you know gaming computers xbox ones ps5s uh so 
throughout all of the years, and I know you've talked about this before on your channel as well. Uh, whoops, I just hit my microphone. Um, okay. But I know you've talked to this about this on your channel before. I don't exactly remember. I don't remember the exact video, uh, but I know you talked about it. So what is you've since you've grown up through all of these different, you know, I guess for lack of a better word, levels and phases of gaming. Uh, what's what's your opinion on living through all of it? You know, from like I said, board games to now PS5s and gaming computers. Um. I try not to think about it too much. I mean, it, it's obviously all for fun, and I've had a blast through the years. It, it amazes me to watch the hobbies grow. Uh, back when I started, uh, it was a lot of imagination and, uh, you know, uh, cowboys and Indians, cops and robbers, bang, bang with the fingers. And, uh, you know, as the years passed and turned into decades the the hobby became more immersed with technology and you know the things that you guys can do with vr and with computer games if i were to see that as a child my my head would have just exploded i mean that, that's magic it's unreal and gaming entertainment in general uh, has advanced side by side with technology in its ever-increasing rapid sprint into God knows where. <laughs> and um, I'm grateful to, to have been part of it. Like, when I was younger, I remember when we got our first Nintendo. You were a cool kid. You were a rich kid if you had a Nintendo. And regardless of what, uh, you know, what, what you may have said earlier, I, I'm not a cool kid. I've never been a cool kid. I've never been a rich kid. So when we got our first Nintendo, like, holy crap, our reality has changed. And we stopped going outside and playing in the dirt. And we stopped chasing each other around on our bicycles and beating each other with sticks. And then, then that's when the generation of sitting in front of a TV all day kicked in. And uh, from there, it just got... You know, the graphics got better, the computers got more expensive, and, you know, but it's not just not just video games, like board games. Uh, the board games have advanced as well. All, uh, I guess, realms, regions, sections, portions, everything game-related. Gaming has become very, very significant to our culture in this day and age and every element of gaming has advanced so far i mean i got a board game sitting out here uh for those of you familiar with gloomhaven i don't need to say anything else but for those of you who are not this board game weighs more than my computer does and it's almost like a living board game like you have characters that advance and there's a story it's, it's like playing a role-playing game without a dungeon master and like the difference between generations like my mom and dad they still play checkers <laughs> and my mom plays solitaire on the computer and, and maybe maybe some little apps like farmville you know if that's still a thing but my stepdad he can't handle a computer without getting pissed off like he has to have my mom put him on a website and be like i want to go here okay and then she like handles the controls but if you were to set even one of our basic, basic, low 
spec PC games in front of one of them, or this this Gloomhaven board game, uh, it would melt their brains. And I can see a time with as fast as things are progressing where, you know, our kids are going to be playing games and we're going to be watching them going, how the hell? I mean, little Timmy doesn't little Timmy doesn't come out of his room, but there's no porn involved. Like, he's laying on his bed, staring at the ceiling, and he's, like, mentally jacked into the internet, and I don't know what he's doing in there, and I don't know, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's chaos, but it's fun chaos, and I think it's, it, if we did not have gaming at all, we would not exist. We would have flat-murdered everybody and ourselves. The, the the release that it gives us from the drama and the stress and the anxiety, like, we need that as a species, let alone a culture. So, I'm grateful that I've experienced it, and it has been a very long, weird trip, for sure. <laughs> but I, I, I'm less interested in where I've been and more interested in where we're going. So, let's cross our fingers and hope we don't all blur up tomorrow. <laughs> the interactive video games have gone too far. Yeah, essentially. Um, and so, with these many years of experience on the uh, in the whole gaming scene, and you know the evolution of it, we RPGs have been kind of in the in the you know middle limbo type area. You know they were never on the forefront of you know they they were never on the forefront of and never really have been on the forefront of many technological advances. Yeah, there's MMORPGs like. You know, what World of Warcraft, I think StarCraft's still a thing. Um, you know, EVE Online still exists. So there are, it has technologically advanced, but it's never been on the forefront of video games. Some of, I mean, the only really games like RPGs that are on the forefront of gamings are, you know, like the Elder Scrolls series, like Skyrim, Morrowind. Uh, then you've got... The you know the Fallout series, post-apocalyptic uh, RPG, build your own, uh, follow the story and build your character. Uh, but they've never really been on the front, you know, like your Call of Duties or Battlefields, uh, stuff like that. And even in board games, they've never really been up in the front. I know from going into your house, you guys have got a mass, mass amount collection of board games, and I've maybe heard of like five of them before you guys introduced them to me. So I, how did you, and you mentioned earlier that you started gaming back in middle school. So how did you find yourself getting, you know, wrapped into this RPG tabletop limbo of, you know, death? Yes. I've been a gamer all of my life. Uh, my earliest mem one of my earliest memories was my biological father holding me up to a Pac-Man machine so that I could work the controls. <laughs> um, uh, board games, when I was in grade school, I was constantly trying to create my own board games. Like, I would go uh, to second-hand shops and thrift shops with my allowance and buy old board games so that I could scavenge the parts to try and come up with my own crap. And I was constantly like, I'm sure my biological dad wanted to strangle me more than once because he, he would, you know, constantly be under siege. Dad, play this with me. Dad, check this out. Dad, dad, dad. And like, yeah, so I've been into games my whole life. The role playing I didn't get introduced to until late middle school. And um, there was this cool kid 
well, he wasn't really a cool kid. He was more of a reject, but he was a cool reject. Like, people <laughs> seemed to like him. And he had this group that always followed him around everywhere, and people thought he was weird. And I was a loner and an outcast, and I fit right in. And, uh, I, I, you know, they were always sitting around in the cafeteria talking. Weird, weird talk. Like, talking about fireballs and dragons. And, like, I couldn't help but be curious. Like, what are these lunatics doing? And every once in a while, I'd hear this rattling noise. Like, if I did manage to pry my attention off the conversation, there would always be the rattle of dice that would draw me back. Like, what in the hell are they doing? And eventually, I started talking to them, and they invited me in, and they they introduced me to my first gaming, like, role-playing experience. And, you know, at first, I wasn't really sure about it. You know, I've been raised my whole life. Dungeons and Dragons is satanic. Dungeons and Dragons will burn your soul. If you, I, my, my biological father actually told me, if you ever play Dungeons and Dragons, I will disown you. Like, so I think the idea, I was still kind of scared of it, because I didn't know what it was, and, like, I didn't want to go to hell, and I didn't want my dad to disown me, but it was the later years of middle school, and then the early years of middle school, my rebellious side kicked in. And uh, I ended up moving to a uh, new town, and I found another one of these groups sitting around in the cafeteria. It seems like a cafeteria is a good place to roleplay. <laughs> I mean, that's just everywhere, everywhere I've encountered roleplaying groups in school, it was in the cafeteria. But they, they were rolling dice and whatnot, and, and at this point, I kind of had a vague idea of what they were doing. Uh, and, and, like, I wanted to show more interest in it just because, oh, yeah, Dad, disown me? Really? You, you think so? Watch this. And, you know, my grandma was very religious. I mean, I'm religious now, but she was, like, holy crap, religious. <laughs> and so I've been raised in this environment where D&D &D is evil and you don't do that. And so, like I said, my rebellious side's kicking, and I'm like, fuck that. Well... The, the problem is, while I'm having all these thoughts go through my head, and I'm sitting in the, at the cafeteria, I am staring at this group of guys I don't know. I've only been at this school for like maybe three days, and I'm just, I'm the new guy just glaring at this group of players. And, you know, I'm not aware. I'm staring at them, but I'm, I've got all these thoughts going through my head. The next thing I know, one of them gets up and walks over to me. And it's kind of scary because this guy's huge. He looks like a biker. He looks like he wants to eat me. Uh, his nickname was Head. Just because he had... To, he was a big guy, but his head was abnormally large. He looked like a bobblehead. But his overall presentation was very, like, creepy. And so I, 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 I thought, great. I just attracted the attention of a bully. You know, here we go. New school. Getting a good start. What do you dumbass? Anyway, he walks up and he introduces himself. And he's like, you ever play Dungeons and Dragons? And... You know, it went from there, and I've been hooked ever since. And you know that that was my first actual. That's the we called it. Oh, I called ourselves the crew. <laughs> uh, because back then, it was cool to be part of a group, and uh, your group had to have a name. And the rest of my group, I don't think we're as enthused or you know into the, the whole naming thing, but they let me do it. So, but uh, they when I look back on my first game group as a player. And my memories and what I base the way I run games off of, uh, the games that I try to duplicate with my players, that is the group that I reference back to. So, And kind of going along with that, since you've been playing for a very long time, uh, and I, I'm assuming you've played 
various different uh, RPGs because if a lot of people don't know Dungeons and Dragons is not the only Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Tabletop RPG. There are very many, and like I said, I'm assuming you have played... Uh, quite a few of them in your day. You've run me and uh, your family on quite a few of them. Uh, so what would you say is your favorite RPG that you've played over the years? I already know the answer to that question, but since this is an interview and you're trying to present it to your audience, I will oblige. Uh, Deadlands is actually my favorite. Um, Dungeons & Dragons is and always will be part of my core uh gaming arsenal i uh, will always go back to that but uh the deadlands mechanic uh the, the way they ran their game the concept of the story everything about the game was so original when i was introduced to it um it just it, it was new it was exciting it was fresh and uh my dungeon master started me on D&D, but then he introduced me to Deadlands. Uh, back in the day, back then, all they had was Deadlands the Weird West. So it was cowboys versus zombies, and it was just great. Like, I loved it. I loved the fact that you used cards for initiative, and you used poker chips for different things. And and I could be a, a cowboy gunslinger who used magic through his gun. And, you know, it, it's the basic, same basic concept, role-playing, that Dungeons & Dragons has, but it was a new setting. It was a new mechanic. It was actually my first experience with a new mechanic other than what Dungeons and Dragons used. So it kind of stuck with me. 
when I got to the point where I started running games, I, I, I tried my hand at all kinds uh, of different games. You know, I did Palladium Fantasy, I did Palladium Superheroes, I did Rifts, uh, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, like you said, the, this, there's so many of them that I tried my hand at. But I kept coming back to Deadlands, and I, I found that the way I run games, the way my creativity works, just meshed with the mechanics and the story so well that I, I found that many of the best games I ran were for Deadlands. And by then, of course, it had become, it had graduated from Deadlands, the, the Weird West, into Deadlands, the Wasted West, which you've covered on your channel. Uh, I'm not going to explain it here so that the people who are listening now will go back and watch those videos. Like and subscribe, people. Come on now. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I would say my favorite by far is Deadlands. It is dated. Uh, I'm sure you can go back and find uh, in any number of ways that it's broken, just like you can go back and look at second edition. Uh, you know, in the, in the day and age when we had it, that's what we had, and it was groundbreaking, and it was beautiful, and now we have 5th edition, and 2nd edition is just this this broken, crippled old thing that's sitting in the museum going, remember me, I was cool one time. You know, so Deadlands is kind of like that now. I mean, they, they've got three printings of it. Uh, as I've said, they have the, the Weird West, which is kind of like the Wild West Nightmares. And then the Wasted West is more of a, a modern, post-apocalyptic. And then uh, then the third one was, um, I can't remember the top of my head what it was called because I never actually ran it. But it's, it's based in the future on another planet. And... You know, then it just kind of stopped. Like they do, they did do a remake for uh, I believe they called it Deadlands Reloaded. Yep. And it was for I believe it was for the Savage World mechanic. Uh, but I never really got into that because, like I said, that most of the charm of Deadlands to me was using the cards and the dice and the the hit location tables and the wound levels and you know it lost a lot of that for me when they integrated it into the d20 system i'm not saying it's bad like you could probably still get some really awesome stories out of it and the d20 system is the most commonly recognized game mechanic for role-playing games these days but i i think i'm gonna stick with my cards and my dice yo <laughs> Yeah, I know, because I, I personally, I run Deadlands on occasion. Uh, it was actually the first uh, game I've ever been a DM on. And I, a lot of people don't know this, but I originally became a DM from you, introducing me to it. You've, you allowed me to borrow your Deadlands books. You allowed me, uh, you, hell, you even gave me your fucking notebook of, you know, how to, like, if I, how to, you know, create a story uh, you've given me maps to use for some shit. Uh, so I largely became a DM thanks to you. Uh, so what what would you say to people who are thinking about becoming DMs? What are what's some advice you could give to first time DMs? Uh, well, first and foremost, it's a game. Have fun. Uh, don't get too bogged down in the rules. If you don't understand them, use common sense. Uh, if you're not having fun, don't do it. Write it down, and um, you know it's it's hard work. Go into it knowing that you are responsible for the creation and maintenance of this world 
that your players are going to exist in. And if, if you want to be a dungeon master, by all means, try it. And if you like it, just know going into it, it's going to be work. But it's one of those situations where the more time and effort you put into it, the more work and passion that you have for it, that's going to show through to your players, and they're going to have more fun. And the reward of being a dungeon master is not getting experience. It's not getting gold. It's walking away from the table with that sense of the happiness and pride and joy inside that your players just had a good time because of you. That is the reward that you're going to come out of this with. So if that's what you're interested in and that's what you want to try and do, just try it. If you don't like it and it's not your thing, Boo-hoo. I mean, <laughs> no, no fault on you. You tried it, and a lot of people are too scared to even try. So you're already ahead of the curve. <laughs> but if you do like it and you decide that you want to dive into it, you need to commit. Because if you just, you know, if you don't prepare anything for a game session and you're not good at winging it, that's going to show through and your players going to realize, hey, we're not important enough for him to actually, you know, be concerned about preparing something for us. If you're good at winging it and that, and that's what you're comfortable with, develop that. Practice that. You know, practice your voices in the mirror. Do goofy faces. You know, write down notes about cool ideas you, that you might be able to use later. And when the situation pops up, be like, oh yeah, this right here, we're doing this. You know, have fun. It's a game. And know that it's not always going to work the way you want it to. Uh, you may go into an adventure with these grand plans for what's going to happen tonight, and your players are going to completely cannonball it, and you can't take it personally. You, can, you can't look at it as a, my, my game is ruined. You have to look at it as a, my players had a freaking blast ruining it. <laughs> and then move on. You know, one game session at a time, one story at a time, and before you know it, you're going to look back and you're going to have some some youngster interviewing you on on the on the VR YouTube's channel uh, <laughs> asking you about how games were, you know, 30 freaking years ago and you're going to be like, "Shit. Well, time does fly when you're having fun." <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, in one vi in another video, I think it was the same video I've been referencing the whole goddamn interview. Uh, you said, uh, you said, and I'm pretty sure I'm quoting this correctly, if you're not having fun, your players are going to pick up on it, and they're more than likely not going to have fun, and it's the same thing a lot of people take in to, you know, music and comedy. It's one of those things where if you don't find it funny, the crowd's not going to find it funny. Yep, yep. I've learned in my... The last four, maybe five years of me DMing, uh, that improv is an incredibly important skill. If yes. you don't know how to improv, you're going to have a very difficult time being a DM. Because if there's one thing I've learned, you can create the most railroaded story ever. It could literally just be an entire story of your players riding on a on a train on a railroad, and they will still find some way to f derail that fucking train. <laughs> Now, an interesting point that you bring up here. Improv is a skill that you need to practice and you need to study and you need to learn and, and, and grow. But, though that is the case, everybody can improv. Everybody has improv. Look back at when you were a little, a, a little child 
running around with your friends or your your brothers or your sisters and playing cowboys and Indians or cops and robbers. You were using your imagination to, to create this reality that wasn't real and you were in that moment at that moment maybe when you were younger you played with barbie dolls and you went on this you, you just sat there for an hour on this pretend date between your barbie and your ken doll and none of it was there like your parents were looking at you and you were off in your own little world you've done this already you know how to do this it's part of your human nature imagination is integral to our existence like without imagination we would have gone extinct we would have never invented fire for crying out loud <laughs> So you know how to do this. You just have to kind of, you know, look back and get back in touch with the, that child inside of you. Maybe it's not as far back for you as it is for some of us, and it'll be easier for you to remember. But it is in every one of you. Just look back to that child. He will tell you what you need to do. And it may sound silly, and it may sound goofy, and it may go against everything you've trained yourself for as an adult or as a teenager. Listen to the child. The child knows how to have fun. Incredibly well said. <laughs> um, and I am just a big child, so <laughs> yes, very much so. Um, so now to kind of uh, to kind of you know get away from the topic of D and D and RPG, I kind of want to delve into uh, the core that is the abyss of Renavion. And, <laughs> and you, you know we interview a series <laughs> and so we've obviously gone through your gaming history we've obviously you know gone through what you how you've played how long you've played how long you've run games uh but what a lot of people probably don't know is that you didn't always you know you weren't always the gotta play every weekend no matter what type of person you actually did have some form of life so what i want to ask you is how what was your day-to-day -day life back and if those of you who don't know oregon uh what was it milton milton freewater yeah that was the my what i considered to be my hometown so what was your day-to-day -day life back there, you know, because I know that you drove Combine. So what was your normal day-to-day -day life from, you know, after graduation of high school or even during graduation of high school? Well, as you may or may not have picked up over the last year or so, adulting sucks. Yes. Um, you find yourself having to do things you don't want to do constantly. And there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to do it because that's how you survive in today's world. Well, in not today's world, just in general, you know. <laughs> um, so that's that's what I did. I survived. I got up in the morning and I went to work. And I hated work. And I hated the people I worked with. Well, I didn't hate the people I worked with. I just hated the fact that I had to be around people in general. Uh, for those of you who don't know, ironically, even though I host a, a, a YouTube channel and I run games and all of that, I'm a very antisocial person. I do not like people in general. Most of them are dumb as bricks and should just eat Tide Pods. Uh, if you're taking offense by this, you're probably one of them. Um, if you're not taking offense by this, then, then you realize it's true. Um, most people are good people. Just because people are a little dumb doesn't mean they're bad. But 
I, I've just never been comfortable physically around people. So holding jobs, um, doing the nine to five or the four o'clock in the morning to eight o'clock at night or whatever the case was at the, at the time, it was difficult. It was more difficult for me than it should have been. So I struggled with that a lot. Um, I have struggled with anxiety and depression uh, most of my life. And obviously, social anxiety and, and depression don't go together well. Uh, there have been many times with jobs where I just either got fed up with it and didn't want to do it anymore, or I just was not capable of handling the stress socially. And I, I would get to the point where I'd say, fuck it, I'm done, I'm done. And then after I quit and walked away, I, I went, oh, shit, uh, I don't have rent money. Uh, how am I going to eat? And, you know, I've done my fair share of time in the past homeless. And ironically, I actually enjoyed most of it. Like, there's nothing as liberating as going where you want, when you want, and doing what you want, when you want. But at the same time, when you pull yourself out of society like that, uh, even though that's what I wanted, uh, you don't get to benefit from the things that society has to offer, like hot showers and uh, a warm, dry place to sleep. So I would always end up going back getting back on my feet and going back to work. And that's pretty much what my life was, was this perpetual cycle of get a job, be, be a productive member of society until I can't do it anymore and my internal fuse pops and restart, reset, recycle, whatever. And uh, I moved around a lot when, you know, when I was young. Uh, I actually calculated that I moved roughly once every year of my life. Uh, sometimes I moved a couple times during a year. Uh, I, I moved around a lot. I did not like to settle. Um, I, I could not say I had a hometown because I was never in one place long enough to grow those roots. It wasn't until I moved back to Milton Freewater this last time that you know i met some friends and uh i think it was actually getting the game group going that kind of anchored me for a little bit and uh you know it's just same same shit different day type of scenario uh it wasn't until i met tara and moved up here that i i you know really anchored somewhere family is very important to me it is the most important thing to me. And the reason I kept going back to Milton Freewater is because that's where my family was. But it was, I was part of their family. Like it was my mom and dad. I was their kid, you know. Uh, when I came up here and I, I got my, my Michigan family, all of a sudden now, this is my family. Tara is my wife. Tyler's my stepson. This is my little unit. Like, it, 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 I don't know if it makes sense, but it, it feels different. Like, when you get older, you're right now, the concept you have of your family is one thing. It's what you're used to. It's what you think of when you think of family. But when you get older and you get married and you have kids and all of a sudden you have your own little unit, your own family unit, you're, you're going to be like, hey, it does feel a little different. You know, it's not better, it's not worse, it's not more important, but it, it's a different feeling. And that feeling cemented me here so hard that as much as I want to go back to Oregon, where my trees and my mountains and my rivers and my ocean and my family are, 
I'm still in this concrete jungle called Detroit, <laughs> or you know, the D- Detroit Metro, whatever. But yeah, it's it's a long it's a long story. Lots of things have happened to make me who I am. Um, the same will occur for you and every one of your viewers. The journey doesn't end until you take your last breath, and who you are is defined by your experiences and your perspective and who you are is constantly changing and to get a good idea of who somebody is like the question you just asked me i could literally go you would literally end up having to make a playlist (laughs) because of all if i went over all of the the big experiences and the memories and and the the joy and the grief like you would literally be documenting uh my freaking biography so that's a that's a deep question man but uh, hopefully <laughs> i answered it to some level for you. Nah, that was great uh and because i know i've personally met your mom and she's a fantastic person i basically my first five minutes talking to her it was basically as if i was already part of her family as well we talk to each other like we've known each other for years and uh so would you say that you know your your mom your biological father and your stepfather you know your immediate family was a very large part of who you are today or would you more equate that to you know your experiences in life and uh your you know just like you like you said your big experiences in life well yes and no don't Um, worry they're not going to watch this video they don't know it exists well, just because we're thinking that, they're all going to watch it. And then, <laughs> like, uh, yes, in that my mom and my stepdad raised me. They, they taught me the wrongs and the rights and the, the honorable thing to do and compassion. And they laid the, the groundwork for who I am as a human being. And I, I will always value that. They, they taught me that if you don't have family you don't have anything family's a big deal and so yeah that that did lay the groundwork for me and they they played a large part in my life throughout my whole life you know every time i fell down they were there to help uh, every time i needed someone to talk with they were there to listen every time i needed to to be you know slapped and told i was being an idiot and i needed to get my head out of my ass they were the the school of hard knocks they helped mold me from an infant a toddler a child into you know my adult years and then of of course once i got out on my own and i started you know you know moving around and whatnot my experiences also had a large effect on what molded me but I, I would say honestly if i did not have my family if i if i didn't know at least in the back of my mind that somewhere yeah out there there was a family member who loved me and cared for me and would do anything for me i, I don't think i would have made it especially not with the depression and the anxiety there have been moments man there have been moments even in childhood but the family always pulls you through and when you get right down to it they may not say shit you want to hear they, they may not always agree with you. Uh, you may grow up hating certain members of your family. But when you get older and you look back on it, if you're lucky, you will not 
willingly trade a single moment of that ex time, that experience, for anything. Uh, if you're unlucky and you know you know you didn't have a family, or you, you have a different, you know, there, there are a lot of people out there who who don't have families, and their their perception of what a family is may not be the nuclear family we're used to. Maybe it was the foster kids they grew up with, or maybe it was the the group of friends that uh, they they you know, they roamed around with out on the street. The point is, no matter what your family is. Uh, no matter who they are, if you view them as family and, and you love that family, they, they're going to have a massive effect on who you are as a person. Uh, you, you carry their lessons uh, with you. Uh, they mold the way you do things. I mean, how many times have you heard the, um, I hated my parents for the way they raised me, but then I got older and raised my kids and realized, shit, I'm my parents. Yeah, how many times do you hear that just in general from from anybody? And that's just you know the way it works. You know, obviously these things you find value in that you were given by your family members are important enough that you hold on to them, and and that's gonna help mold who you are. And I'm just fucking popping off and rambling and asking next <laughs> question, man. Damn it. Uh, well, define nice. Huh? Define nice. Define um, <laughs> nice, <laughs> not bad. <laughs> and so, well, okay. So you, you uh, now obviously you believe family. You say family is a very large part, and I do agree. Um, mm. But in your opinion, does family have to be blood? No, no. Um, a, a lot of times, especially in our day and age in society, blood. Uh, blood is not family at all. Just because you're related by blood doesn't mean anything. Uh, and there are lots of kids out there who've never even met their, their biological parents because they were abandoned. Uh, do you have any responsibility to these individuals who, who wanted nothing to do with you? Do you have to call them family? No. Family is not defined by physical connection. It's defined by emotional connection, in my opinion. And uh, that, that's why you're family. I, I consider you as much my, my son as I do Tyler, uh, as I do my own son Christopher, and nothing's going to change that, you know? Uh, family is, I don't know. It's a, kind of a hard, hard question to put into words because, I mean, the simple answer is no, it is not simply defined by blood. Mm -hmm. But why? You know, that, that's a, there's a lot of emotions and a lot of experiences that go into why I believe that. And not everyone's going to agree. So I think it's, uh, for me, that's the answer. <laughs> no is a good enough answer for me. Now, okay. we're going to get into a bit of a controversial subject here. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Bring it. Can you crit on skill checks? Yes. Well, no. Shit. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Threw you a curveball. Yeah, according <laughs> to the rules, you cannot. But I believe that it adds flavor. Uh, a lot of humor comes from fucking up. And uh, you need to teach your players that when the one shows up on that dice, no matter what it's for, that's just shit luck on you. And 
I was raised in the generation where when the one comes up, bad shit happens. Yeah, no matter what, bad shit happens. The whole you can't quit fail a skill check, that's that's a more recent mechanic. And though I understand where they're coming from, and I, I agree that for some groups that works and that's fine, I am... Uh, uh, is sadist the word? <laughs> I enjoy torturing my players. If they're the one, I'm gonna have fun coming up with the most dastardly evil, but yet funny way of torturing them. You know, I'm not I'm not the type that's like, oh, you failed a sneak check, die. You know, I'm not gonna be that drastic about it. But bringing a little humor into it, bringing some fun into it. This goes back to the, if, uh, if you're not having fun, your players aren't having fun. Well, the reverse is the same. If you're having fun, your players are probably having fun. You know? Um, so yeah, I do normally when a critical fail is rolled, uh, I do tend to try and come up with some creative way of making that a visceral thing in the game because then now all of a sudden your dice rolls are you know they're important you know you you groan when the, the low numbers come up and you get excited when the high numbers come up it's too easy to let games role-playing games uh become mechanical and focus too much on the rules and the numbers and it becomes less of a uh, an imaginary playtime and more of a number crunching freaking job. That's not fun. Nobody likes to go to work and do that. Why do you want to come <laughs> home and do that? So yeah, of course you were one. We're gonna have some fun. That's my next T-shirt. <laughs> next, you have to have a first one. <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> I'm making a list. I'm making a list. Now well, one day you'll get there. But I believe that's going to be all the time we have today. Ended on controversy, like always. Um, so, I want to thank you again for doing this at 1, almost 2 in the morning. Because we sleep is an entity that we don't know of. Um, but, yeah. Man naps, you're old man naps. <laughs> yeah, you sleep like 3, you sleep for like 5 hours it's five-hour sections. I sleep until, you know, five in the afternoon. I don't sleep five-hour sessions. I sleep two hours, then I'm up for four hours, then I sleep for two hours, then I'm up for four hours, then I pee a lot, and then well, I'm back in bed for two hours. <laughs> eventually, I might sleep five hours a day. Ev eventually, you'll get to eight hours, right? <laughs> yeah, eventually. It may not be in a 24-hour period, but I'll get there then. <laughs> but, yes, again, thank you for being here. You were the official first person I've interviewed for this new series. So, congrats. You're first at something. Uh, well, thanks for having me. I appreciate, appreciate the honor. And uh, hopefully I don't traumatize your viewers to the point where they're all unsubscribe. Ah, oh, it's already too late for that. Okay, well, that's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> but if you guys... Yeah, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate it, so... If you guys Thank haven't, you. please go and subscribe to Renavion over at Damsels and Dingbats. He just finally got back into doing YouTube after, you know, taking the, essentially a two-year-long break. Um, and it'll be... is He does, you know, all right content, you know. Uh, it's par. I'll <laughs> accept that. Uh, I'll own that. I like that. I am par. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, how's it going, everybody? It's Anthony from the RPG Speak podcast that you just listened to. All of the music in today's episode was Metal Rap Instrumental by Lost in Scores. RPG Speak is a podcast where I talk about all things role-playing, from tabletop RPGs to video game RPGs. Stay tuned for next episode, where I'll share more stories and opinions on gaming today, as well as my own personal gaming experiences. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs>